right. Well, see, uh, we looked at last week, we did a review of John uh, chapter 1. And uh, then, you know, well, we actually continued in John 1 the week before we were in the first portion. And we've just been looking at what it, how Jesus invited a calling, you know, where some people say, well, I, I don't know my calling. To simplify it, realize that a calling is an invitation. He's invited us to, to be a part of what he's doing in, in, in the world around us. And so how he then, you know, teaches us is, is really, as we've seen out of Hebrews, you know, that we have our, our senses sharpened to be able to discern the difference between good and evil. Remember, we looked at that verse a couple weeks ago. So he teaches us certain things. We see things, and so then someone says, hey, um, would you like to be a part of this? Maybe it's a ministry, children's ministry, soundboard, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and our senses have been sharpened. We realize, okay, I'm, I'm learning a few things. And, and honestly, that's sometimes how you learn your calling. There's an opportunity to serve. You know, contemporary teaching is not accurate to biblical truth in a lot of ways. A lot of times contemporary teaching teaches you a lot about individuality, a lot about uh, uh, traits and personality and ability and characteristics. I think it's a little off track. I think the simplicity is when God shows us an area, an opportunity, a need, as his servants, we would then consider, could I somehow be used to fulfill that need? Oh, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that before. But you'll sense, not just your, your spider sense because you're Spider-Man, but you, you'll sense, it's like, I just, there's, I don't know how to describe it. You know, a stirring, a, I, I just can't seem to get away from it. I keep thinking about that ministry or that opportunity. And so the next thing you do is like, Lord, by faith, I don't know if I'm to do this or not, but the need's there, and I'm just gonna take a step of faith that direction, and I pray you'll give me clarity. I, I wish it was the way some people teach, that when you pray for your calling, there's anointing upon you, and hands are laid, and lights are shining, and hearts are illuminated, and angels are singing, and harps are going crazy, and you know, like there's just something, which I, maybe it is for some people, I don't know. I've just never encountered that. I've never experienced that. And so, and, and like I say, I don't know, I'm not going to say they're all going to be the way, you know, maybe you experienced it or I experienced it or whatever. I just want to encourage you, as servants, he teaches us through things that are before us. And, and, and we learn in ways that we, we didn't even realize. Because most of us, when we need to learn something, he can't tell us that we need to learn it because we would go try to learn it and then we'd come back and tell him what we learned. So he actually just teaches us on the process. That's why I think lifestyle is, is so important to understand. He, we learn... Do you learn to be the good Christian on Sunday morning only? Or is it later at the dinner table? Or is it, you know, Monday when you're grumpy and your spouse is happy and you just had enough of that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you, that's where we learn it. It's lifestyle. You know, it's kind of like, have you ever tried to, if you think about it, because I'm older, just a little. And so um, when you're trying to teach someone work habits, you, you really need to teach them lifestyle, not work habits. Because unless it's integrated in the home and practiced in the workplace, it's always going to be in conflict. But if you can teach the whole thing, like, you know, my generation, and I'm not trying to separate, but there is something distinct and different in what's built in, in, in our American culture and is changing. 
but you just, it was all the same. You know what I'm saying? You didn't get to go work hard and come home and not do anything. Dad made sure that didn't happen, you know, because there was things to be done in the house. You see what I'm saying? It's lifestyle. And, and if we can let that settle in, it keeps us from segregating and separating. Like, well, I'm going to go to church, and then I'm going to go do this. It's a conflict that many face as young Christians. They're trying to learn what they can do now because what they were doing was unacceptable. They're born again and they realize it. But now they're trying to learn, can I do both? You know what I'm talking about. Can I do both? And then you start realizing, no, I can't. Some of, this, some of this won't integrate. Some of it won't synchronize. It will just grind. It has to go. And so let's, let's look tonight. We're going to be in Mark. Let's see. Let me get my notes here. Here we go. Ding, ding. Um, we'll be in Mark 8. And we're going to look at how Jesus stirs up, because that's what I was talking about. He, he stirs us. It, whether you call it a, the Lord spoke to you, because he probably didn't speak to you the way you hear audibly through your ears. That's very rare. But it's, it's maybe even more powerful when he speaks to your heart and your, your head comprehends. Or that's just your way of conveying that there's this prompting, there's this leading. So he stirs us. Stirs his disciples, he corrects his disciples, and he calls his disciples closer. Now, he's already called them. We've looked at that for two weeks. He's already invited them. But the invitations don't quit. We're invited to see something. And, hey, the next day, like, hey, you, I want, you want to check this out? Can I show you this about these thoughts in your life? Can I show you this about your emotions? We're invited to, to learn his ways in everything that we deal with. And so now we're going to look at um, Mark chapter 8, and we'll settle in that um, for tonight. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. And so let's read chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. And as I often do, and and maybe I'll give you, well, many of you know this, but I like to read the text to to catch the, the overall, and then go back and walk through it's not just a method that I think is superior. Well, actually it is. That's why I do it. But I don't think it's exclusive. But I believe as a teacher, for some who are just starting out, I'm actually also setting an example and helping you learn. This is the way you read the Bible. I encourage you, if you're studying a chapter a day or a portion a day or whatever, you read it through and then you go back and you walk through. And you kind of just kind of slow down and think about that word and look it up in your dictionary and cross-check it. and You know what I mean? You just kind of settle in and, and you find yourself like, oh, wow, I got so much out of that. Because we're settling in and letting the Lord speak to us and, and letting him teach us. So let's read verse 27 to 38. I'll read it out loud if you'd like to follow along out of Mark chapter 8. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, Well, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then Jesus strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. 
But when Jesus had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Verse 34, then when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, moving right back up to verse 27. And, uh, you know, as we go through this, I'm I'm not going to do expository, um, you know, exclusive to the text. I'm working as a topic, remember, working on the the topic of lifestyle discipleship, looking how Jesus discipled and taught his his disciples in that day. And I believe we can see... um, parallels and, and the same principles in our own uh, personal lives. Now, they, were, they went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi uh, is north of the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee, kind of to the west a little bit, right at the base of Mount Hermon, I believe it is. And so it was kind of an area. It was kind of scattered. It wasn't like a, a big city. There's also the what's referred to as Caesarea Philippi, the portion that's there on the Mediterranean Sea, a little different than Caesarea Maritima, which is why they're distinguished as being Philippi. And I only mention that because when we went through there recently on the uh, trip to, uh, through Israel um, that I was able to go on, you know, was able to see that terrain and kind of see how it spread out. And, you know, it is a ways away from what we know when we think of the Galilee or the, the region by the sea or by the lake, it's the Sea of Galilee, uh, even Nazareth, which is about 10 or 12 miles up the hill from the lake, um, you kind of start, in your mind, you get kind of a geography and kind of a sense. And when we read these things, it's, it's not an easy travel. It, it wasn't just a walk in the park, you know, just a couple, you know, like, you know, taking a sack lunch and, you know, you know walking, you know, couple miles out of town, you know, we're talking 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 60, 90 miles in some of these places that they're traveling. And so he's with his disciples, and notice it says the towns of Caesarea Philippi, so that's giving you a reference in the region of, like, I would say it's kind of like the towns of Mountain Home would be, I know it's a little different because of our nomenclature wording, but would be like King Hill, Glens Ferry, uh, Indian Cove, uh, Bruno, Grandview. They're just the surrounding areas, but they're not as well known. You know why we're so well known? Because we're a big city. We got a Walmart. <laughs> that's that. If you think that's the West, you know, I hear people say, "Oh, we're going to town." Well, we came in. We're going to head to town, and they live in Grandview. And I'm thinking, Boise. No, no, they're coming to town, to Mountain Home, because you think, in a relative sense, and you, the further you go into uh, Owyhee County the more you realize, yeah, this is what, what they're where you go. Why would they want to go to that other big city, which is so chaotic? Well, anyway, it helps you kind of see there, there were just there were some things that were similar. And, but yet here is, I, I think it's interesting, on the road he asked his disciples, because they've set that framework, and you could even think of going towards Boise, and you're walking. 
I just, I'm just curious of how their conversations went and how they paired up, you know, because say there's 10, 12, 15, 30, I don't know. It depends on each section of scripture we're reading. But you don't walk in a, on a huddle, in a group, you know, you pair off, right? Some walk and have a longer legs, different strides, some at a different pace. So you end up waiting and hanging, you know, collecting, but you're having different conversations. And here's something that's going on on the road. As they're walking along, Jesus throws out the hot topic of the day because at this point, people have been talking about who he is. They are, they're aware of this itinerant, which means kind of a mobile or borderline transient teacher from the Galilee region. They, they've heard some stories about his birth. We know that the enemies, the adversaries, the Pharisees and such, say to Jesus at one point in the scripture, at least we were not born of fornication. Because, you know, they, they'd heard the story that Mary was mirac- had miraculously conceived. They didn't believe that the miraculous would take place, so they shifted into a natural gossip trail. And so they, they heard about him, and then they heard other things, and, and he's a carpenter, a blue-collar guy. He was trained in these other things, and they, but they're hearing good things, too, how, how he turned over the, the, the tables in the temple. You'll hear that later as he does it towards the end of his public ministry. They've heard the story about turning water into wine. There's just things coming out. And so there's a conversation. And he says, well, who do men say that I am? And my emphasis for you and I as disciples is there's a reason that he asked that. And I believe the reason we should be aware of that. It's important to understand what people perceive and even believe concerning Jesus. You will get drawn into conversations about the concept, the thought, theory, and ideology of God, of intelligent design is a common word now. It's used to calm academics who are a little over the top and keyed up. And so you calm them with a term of intelligent design because science reveals that they didn't just happen by itself and you're bringing them. But people, they'll talk about God. They're okay with it. Most people, most people even would say, I know there's a God. But what about Jesus? So who do people say Jesus is in our culture? I think we should know that. I think it's good to know what family members and friends and neighbors and stuff say. It's not an easy conversation. It's probably the most awkward one. Can we agree? One of the most awkward conversations. Especially if you say, do you know what Jesus' political view was? I mean, you can mix religion and politics, and now you have a mess. I'd advise not going that route, okay? Just let them figure that part out. But you, my point is, when we, it's good to know. And you may not have that direct conversation like I'm implying, maybe with a neighbor, but it's good to know. I mean, I remember sitting in the uh, shop at, when I worked at the Kenworth dealership in Boise. I worked there for 20 years, 10 of it as a non-believer, then 10 after I got saved. And then even out here in a shop, and to sometimes I just would sit, I'm just eating my lunch and shouldn't talk with food in your mouth, so I'm just sitting listening. And then you hear kind of what people believe in their theory and their thought, or you, it, you, know, you hear what I call barroom theology, where, where somebody wants to converse in a barroom. I, wasn't a, I didn't do the bar scene much, but you'd, you'd hear these conversations and a little liquid courage ends up with a little more loose lips and next thing you know, there's conversations about what they actually think. And somebody else is listening, and they're developing their theology off this one loud guy that's super drunk. 
and they start believing, and literally, that's because it's all they have. It's all they've heard. It's all they choose to receive. And so who do people say Jesus is in our culture? I think it's important to understand, because how can you bring clarity if you don't understand where they're coming from? I don't study it, but I want to be aware of it. And I believe Jesus asked this question, well, who do people say that I am? Well, actually, some of them think that you're John the Baptist. Because, you know, you, you didn't have CNN, you know, it wasn't 24-hour live, you know what I mean? So you, he could be in Jerusalem, or Galilee, or Nazareth, you know, the re- region of Galilee, and so it may be weeks, months even, before one of them, like John the Baptist, come back around. Oh, I heard he's John the Baptist. Or, or, or one of the prophets. Maybe one of the minor. I mean, you, you can bet there was a lot of um, suggestion. I think he's this guy. I think he's that guy. You know there had to be because people were looking for him. They were curious. So they're saying, well, some say you're this, and, and some say Elijah which was, you know, he's a top dog out of the Old Testament. So it was like, hey, maybe you're... So Jesus didn't have an inferiority complex. He wasn't concerned about his public relations. You you understand, why would he ask his disciples such a question that seemingly is irrelevant? I believe in part because we are to know. How can we be engaging in culture? How can we be connecting unless we understand a little bit where people are coming from? But this is really where we know he's going, a public question, who do people say that I am? Now he brings it to a very personal question. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, obviously they, they, they know who he is, at least a little bit, right? They're following him more. They're, they're going where he goes. They're, they're willing to make sacrifices to see what he would do and what he's doing. But you can go to church and not be saved. You can know, know of Jesus and not know Jesus in a personal relationship. And so I believe that his early disciples, he's just teaching them, who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? I, I imagine, it's just my thought and how he would enunciate and, and speak in such a fashion to the group that he, he who, do, who do the people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah. And then there's this probably a, 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 a pause, a break. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I don't think there was much of a break after that. You're the Messiah. I think Peter, you know, just spontaneously, just because he's, he's said to be the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, because we see from the next section that he tend to kind of, you know, speak on the fly, we would call it. But what's beautiful is... Jesus then says, you know, who do you say that I am? You're the, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Christos. You're the anointed one. And I, I believe, well, we know that, you know, Peter, he received that. He, he said that, but it was actually the Father who revealed that to you. There's another portion. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, the, for you haven't discerned that on your own. You haven't figured that out on your own. The Father has made that known to you. And so there's things that Peter's learning about being taught by the Spirit, by walking. And so before we go to that, I want to encourage you out of 2 Timothy 2.15 to know the Word and, and know it in a personal way. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a worker, a workman, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. 
We want to know the word. Why do I insert that when I go from, you know, the public question to the private question? Well, we need to know the word because we need to be able to discern right and wrong. You can't do it, we know, you can't do it intellectually. It's the leading of the spirit. But the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit. These things are spiritually discerned. So we're learning to be taught by God, as we see last week, the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to be able to, to, to weigh this out and work this through, because when someone says something, I, want to, I don't want to be swayed. I don't want to be drawn in, because their charisma and their personality and their friendship and their relationship, and they're nice, we get along great, and our kids get along great, and the, the, the dogs don't fight. Everything's sweet. But they say things that are contrary. They may say things like, well, we believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer and that Jesus presented a plan of salvation to the Father and Lucifer presented a plan of salvation to the Father and God the Father received Jesus' plan of salvation and rejected Lucifer's. So these two spirit brothers, Jesus and Lucifer, you know, then were separated and then they don't get along anymore. And then, you know what I'm talking about? That's Mormon doctrine. That's Mormon teaching. And I only, I only mention that because, from, well, it helps because that's, that's where I grew up in. That was my religion of reference. But I, I'm challenged, you're challenged, because some, some organizations, some structures, systems, like, for example, Mormonism, they use the same word, but they have a different meaning attached to it. So by, by taking the same wording, the same nomenclature, saying it this way, Unless you are dissecting this or, or catching some of these conversations and buzzwords, you're gonna, it's going to sound the same. Oh, they're Christian. They even have Jesus in their name. Well, that, that's not a good reference point. You know, because there's, there, you can just because you put the name in the title doesn't really, you know, there's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There's the Church of Jesus Christ of Aryan Nations. You ever heard of that one? Some of you may. You can do your own research. It's in northern Idaho, and if you're black, don't go there. Now you get it, right? I mean, it was, it was just a white supremacist. It was a mess from 20 years ago. Or 20, anyway, all I'm saying is let's make sure we're, we're listening to what the Lord's teaching us. You know, we live in a time hearing what someone says about Jesus gives an insight to what they believe, and it also causes us to think about what we believe. Our first priority is to know what we believe, then live in a manner that's consistent with our belief about who Jesus is. So I can engage with family members that have a different description and definition about Jesus. I can engage with people in our community and not have some doctrinal you know, opposition. I can, con- I can connect and engage, but I won't agree. You see what I'm saying? It, it, it's a fascinating thing that you and I are entrusted and learn how to do, and Jesus is our model. Now, when he does say, well, who do you say that I am? You know, Peter is the spokesman, as I've already touched on. When he says this, I believe they were all in agreement with him. Nobody, he seems to be the one that speaks for the group. And, well, he is. And so it's easy to say, you know, yeah, yeah, that's what we believe too. Say what you believe, but it's can be quite a bit more difficult to show what you believe, which is what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning something and then living what you learn. So they're learning from him, and then it's going to be seen. They were in agreement that Jesus was the Messiah, yet their actions indicated they had a few things to work out yet. 
that they, they didn't really get what they're saying. They, they just weren't opposed to it, if you would, like, like many today. So let's look at a couple more verses as we move along from verse 29. Um, he stri- well, verse 30, he strictly warned them they should tell no one about him. That doesn't go well with our evangelical tilt. We're to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're also to be led by the Spirit. And there's times that Paul wanted to go to one region and the Spirit forbid him. And there's time, like even here, you'll see other places where Jesus says, just go take care of yourself, do the ceremonial washing, and tell no one. Don't tell people. And you think, what? why not? He hasn't fulfilled his mission, if you would. He's going to the cross. That's the goal. That's what you see from this text. Because he's going to now teach them, as he said, don't be... Don't be you know, what you know, I want you to hold on and chew on and think on. Don't be, don't, it just, now is not the time to talk about it. You'll, you'll talk about it later. You will talk about it. Because notice what he says in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed after three, and after three days rise again. So... What he is teaching is very uncomfortable and even a bit disturbing to them. They expected Jesus to work out things differently than what he's telling them. Because if you're there and you're listening to him and you've been following him and you've made sacrifice, some can't go back to their job because they have been following him and you know they're, 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 they're all in, we might say. And then he says, but I'm going to die. Like, then why did I leave my job? I mean, why am I all in on this when now I don't know what I'm going to do after you die? You, are we hearing you right? What do you mean? And so as he begins to teach them that, you know, hey, you know, this is what's going on, you know, it, it was disturbing. And, and I believe you, I, we got to recognize that God will teach us things that are naturally disturbing. We don't understand why it has to be this way. How come that has to happen? It doesn't seem right. Why can't you just heal this person? How come we didn't take care of this? Why did, God, I don't understand why you did it that way. Why, why the accident? Why the tragedy? Why the natural disaster? And you, you don't ask those questions unless that person has a name and not a number. What do I mean? Well, 100 plus people died in this, this last storm that hit Florida, right? That's a number to you and me. I don't mean to mean imply we're callous. It's just fact. But if your grandma was one of them, it's not just a number anymore. Now it's personal. Now it's like, well, I don't understand why this happened. How does this, you see what I'm saying? There's just God, he, there's things that we just don't accept in our natural frame, in our natural reasoning. We're learning how to trust him. We're learning how to walk by faith, but we're learning how to work these things through and work them out. And so he tells them, this is what's gonna happen. And he spoke the word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, notice what he, the scene was set. An interesting thing, how it was set up for us. The details were told. So Jesus spoke it openly. Everybody, they're all there. I, I believe it was in a little tighter type group, if you would. But as he begins to, you know, to, to, to share this with them and tell them that, Peter takes him aside. Peter was so, if you would, worked up, if you would, and so unreceptive, and I believe it was because of his love for Jesus. 
He, he just couldn't see it unfolding that way. But unfortunately, there was also a love for Peter that was compelling him as well. And so he takes him aside. We, can I talk to you for a minute? Can, I, can, I, can we talk, chat for a minute? Listen, no. The words are strong. Peter didn't say, um, could, could you explain to me a little more? Peter said, listen, this ain't how it's going down. This isn't going to work. It's bad for public relations. It's bad for us. It's not going to look good. There's nothing good to come out of this. This, isn't good. this is not the way to do it. He, I mean, the words are stern. It's not just like they had a little difference of opinion. Peter rebuked Jesus. But when Jesus had turned around and looked at his disciples, a little bit of like, are you done yet? Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Wait a minute. I was told in Sunday school we're not supposed to call people names. And Jesus just called Peter Satan. Well, no, actually he didn't. He didn't call Peter Satan. He identified and acknowledged the prince of this age presence in this world. The prince of this age who's allowed to, to reign under God's presence, but he's allowed to show humanity what humanity can do. You know, people right now complain about how the world is. You ought to pat yourself on the back. That's what man can do. When man says we don't need God, this is what we can come up with. And, and this is what we do. And, and we have a little help a presence spiritually, who also said, I don't need God, I can do better than God, I can run the worship team better than you can. And so Satan was evicted, kicked out of heaven. And his influence, his very goal, his summarized job description from the words of Jesus himself are the enemy, the, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy that's his, that's his simplified job description. That's his goal. That's what he's about to be doing. And so his influence on Peter's life at that time, because Peter is resisting what God is telling him, and when you resist what God has to say, Satan always has something to say. Always. He, he's not like carrying a pitchfork and has little horns. The Bible tells you and me that, that Satan can transform himself as an angel of light. Seemed like a good idea. And, and here, another thing, don't worry about Satan messing with you. I don't worry about messing with me. I'm not that important. I believe he'll send a minion a little demonic creature, a little some type of influence in this spiritual realm where we're told in Ephesians 6 that we are, that we're in this, uh, we see physically, but there's an influence spiritually where, where we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, you and I, we're not, we're not, that's not the fight. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's hard to even wrap your mind around that. I've memorized that, as you can tell, and I still try to sort out which one's which. I don't even know because I have no visible reference. But all that tells me is there is a presence. And so when Jesus says to Peter, as he, as he noticed it said, he looked around. He's seen the influence, and he said, notice, it's very important for you and I to, to understand this. Get behind me, Satan. Your place is not there. 
It's, it's down there. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God. You, you don't have the things of God in mind. You, you have the things, notice, of men. Satan doesn't have to reveal his agenda to you. He just ha- he, you can just keep you busy with your own agenda. I can just busy, be busy with myself. We'll be looking this Sunday at, in First John where, where it speaks of you know, just the, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and these things that can just draw us off course. So keep, with, if you could, the framework that we have and just think how this went down because I'm sure Peter's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's like, I know he knew. I know he, was, he realized he was, he just opened mouth, insert foot. Uh, and, I, and, I, and Jesus really doesn't pull him aside and reprimand. There's no sense that he was put on probation or like some type of a discipleship, you know, discipline program. He, he, he just learned right then because you learn that way, right? Usually, sometimes when we make those mistakes, those are the most beautiful training grounds because they're the most painful things to do. And when something hurts, I hope you're smart enough not to repeat it. That's kind of the point of pain <laughs> to a certain degree. You know? So anyway, as I'm going through these things and we're breaking them down and we can think, oh, wow, how is the scenario? It's not so much just that scenario, but the, the status, the condition of my heart as well. What in my life, what in your life, do you say, Jesus, no, 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 can I talk to you about this? Because I think it should go like this. I think it should be this way. This way you proposed is going to be inconvenient. It's going to be awkward. It's going to cost me. We'd never say it that way because we don't want to sound selfish, but we're, anyway, you get it. Like, I don't know. I, I'd rather, and I wish it was so easy as I'm making it sound. It's not that easy. It's not that easy to discern. Actually, the one, is, one of the toughest things that I have to do or get to do is teach and when someone is self-deceived, I can't reach them. I can't reach them, literally, because they're always thinking of someone else. Or they're always thinking, even when there's conviction, they've been practicing their rebellion or their disobedience, even though it may be minor to them, they've been practicing it for so many years, they, don't, they won't hear. Do you know we can get where our conscience can be seared? Our conscience used to be driven by the flesh and the natural sensories, our, our gates, so to speak, eye gate, ear gate, and, and what we're trained in in the environment. But the conscience is turned over to the Holy Spirit when we're born again. And now he's teaching us new things. But we can resist, the Bible says. We can hinder, the Bible says. We can quench the work of the Spirit. Well, how's that done? I believe this is one of the ways it's done. When he mentioned, brings up something, and we're like, no, this is not how I'm going to. I've always done it this way. I'm going to keep doing it this way. And God would be saying, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And I like to, in a sense, listen to that and go, Dan, you're not putting God first. You're more mindful of the things of Dan, the things of men. You want to be this way because just stop now. And learn to walk by faith. Learn to listen. Learn to let go. And not live in the past, but live now. And so Jesus is he's teaching them. And, and verse 34, he, uh, he called the people to himself and, then, and his disciples. We know that Jesus 
as he draws the people in, he's speaking to this broad audience, if you would, and his disciples. Because he it seems to be the order, at least the way this story is arranged, the, the New Testament, well, the Bible, but most more we see it in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the emphasis is not upon chronology. In other words, it doesn't go from birth to death exclusively. That's not the priority in Eastern writing and in many types of writing. In Western writing, for the most part, we, we tend to kind of almost stringently go in order. This happened, and then this happened, and this happened, and then that happened. But th- that's not the emphasis. Here, it, it, the emphasis, I do believe there's chronology, chronological connection, of course, but the emphasis is, is on what's being taught. And he calls the people. And so here he just got done correcting the audience, the disciples. They may have moved a little while. People may have come in. The people are now involved and the disciples. And now think about what he said previously and now what he says as an instructive point. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Does that have any application to verse 33? where Peter was rebuked by Jesus. You can't just keep doing it your way, Pete. It won't work. It's painful. I love you too much to say it's okay because it's not okay. If we can keep, as I said on Sunday, I, I mentioned this every week, I, either in conversation, one-on-one, phone calls, whatever, every week, it seems, in the last few months, is do you realize that God's desire is best for you? And it's so important to hold that. You can say it another way, but I don't think it it carries the same emphasis. God desires what's best for you. That would be true too. But I like to see it. God's desire is best for you. In other words, I can maybe take his will. I could maybe not. All things will work out okay. God desires what is best for me. No, his will, his desire is best for me. It's not something I have to think through. It's set. And so when he teaches and shows, hey, whoever desires to come after me, you know, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That, that's not any public proclamation to, to show how humble you are or some sense of you know, you know, masochistic behavior where you hurt yourself and harm yourself to show you're so committed and dedicated. You're not denying yourself that way. It's the innermost part of your being. And when he instructs us, and he is Lord, and we say, ouch, okay. Last week we seen out of Luke chapter 5, nevertheless, at your word, I will. Did you get that? Nevertheless, in other words, I, I don't get what you're talking about. I, I'm not actually in agreement with fishing the way you suggest. We've been out all night. Nevertheless. That's your word. I will. Do you see how beautiful that is? That's, a, that's what we are invited to live, and, and that's what he's teaching him. You deny yourself. Take up your cross. What's a cross? Oh, it's a piece of jewelry. Yeah, right. I'm sure that's what he meant. Put on your jewelry, and we'll all walk through town fashionably. We know that's not even close. The cross was an instrument of death, humility, shame, brutality. It was nothing, nothing plus. There's no positive to it. And he's saying, listen, just take up the cross. Now, realize when he's saying this, he hasn't rose from the grave. 
He hasn't been on the cross. He, they know what the cross is. It was an instrument of brutality, and, and um, it was what, well, it wasn't just the Romans. It was the de- developed decades, centuries before that. But it was a way of showing people that if you do this, this is what you get. If you go against our civil our laws, our, our criminal guidelines, our, our society, this is what will happen to you. It was a deterrent. It was so terrible. He's saying, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. If you really want to know me, then you can't keep anything. You can't, you can't be the Lord of something. I can't be the Lord of some things and not other things. And so he goes on to, you know, basically teach them. As we see here, you know, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But ever loses his life for my sake, and the gospels will save it there in verse 35. Following Jesus requires denying yourself. Self-denial is not abusing the body, rather it's disciplining the body for greater purposes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is the instrument God brings a truth through, and he relates it to his own life. He even talks about his life practice, his lifestyle, and he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, take it serious, and, and, and you know he's using this comparison. Notice what he goes on to say. And everyone who competes for the prize is... is you know, moderate or temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown, much greater purpose. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not who one just beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. It's not about disqualified doesn't mean losing to salvation. It's just a poor witness. I'll speak for Christ, but if I don't discipline my body and my, my words are not verified, so to speak, by my lifestyle, if I'm a hypocrite, then I've disqualified myself. I, I'm not a good witness. So I'm tying it together, as you can see, that there's this part of, of, of just discipline where it is, it's not a bad word. It's not like you got in trouble. It speaks of the, the personal choices that are value-based. And I, you, we want to be a witness. We want to be formed into his image and likeness. We want to experience his power in our lives. And, and to do that, it's, it, a lot of it's choice-based. Don't get me wrong. Don't think that it's works-based. But it is choice-based. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Lord, remember what the father said. The disciples couldn't solve a problem with his child. He had this seizure and he had these things going on. Jesus was up on the mountain, Mount of Transfiguration. He comes back. Father says, your guys couldn't do nothing with my son. And, and Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all possible. All things are possible for him who believes. What did the father say? You remember what he said? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's so powerful for following. It's so important for denying ourselves. Lord, I don't know how to do it. I believe. I know I want to. I don't know how to do it. Lord, I believe. 
help my unbelief. Help me to be a disciple. Help me to live this. Help me to, to know this and, and know how to go about this. When we see here where Jesus is teaching them and explaining to them, you know, he says there in verse 35, if you desire to save your life, you end up losing it. Jim Elliott had said before he passed away at the hands of uh, a very brutal group of people, tribal people, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So, so, so simple. You can't keep your life. So it's no fool. You're not being foolish. It's like, I'll give it up. I can't keep it anyway. And I'll invest in something I can't lose. You can't lose. You can't, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. If you're born again, you're born again. You're in the Father's hands. Period. Will it be easy? No. It will be difficult at times, yes. But know that there's got to be an understanding that, that we are his. He who began a good work will let us fall sometime. Oh, wait, I misquoted that. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He who has started this, you know, Jesus is the, according to Hebrews chapter 12, he is the author and finisher of our faith. Finisher there speaks of completer. He's the one that bursts the faith, so to speak, and carries it to completion in your life and in my life. But we do have a part in this process of maturing, in the process of growing. And, and that's where we see this beautiful element of our will being involved. Verse 36 and verse 37, what, what does it gain if you gain the whole world and it costs you your soul? I spoke with a, a businessman here in town 20 years ago in a coffee shop. Business is doing really good. Everything was going well. And I couldn't argue with him, you know, uh, whether it be the type of work he was doing or the profit margins he was experiencing and all the things around. I just don't want to mess it up. Hmm. And I still have a good relationship with the guy. But it's like, and the Lord just gave me this verse just vividly and clearly in the coffee shop. Yeah. But what if you got everything you could ever imagine? What if you gained the whole world, so to speak? But it cost you your soul. What? What if? And he's like, that's a good one. That was his response, more or less. Oh, that's a good point. And, and, but he didn't want to mess things up. It's just going so good. I just don't want to mess it up. And I'm like, oh, how sad to be so, like, stuck in that rut and following that path that seems to be to this. And you have to keep telling yourself how wonderful it is. And I, look at, I got this, and look at this, and that is this, and these things are those things. And I got more stuff. But there'll come a day when you'll, you'll, you, won't, you won't want that stuff. Many people on their deathbed wish they could go back and give up their wealth, power, and position, and do more for his kingdom. Because you know, Christians get drawn into this as well. And many, you know, I, it's the reality of what, you know, we do as Christians and I do, you know, as a, as a pastor, you know, there oftentimes, well, not often, but too frequently in my mind, when people depart these bodies and being in there, being there with them prior to their departure, I've never had someone, I'm so glad I've got so much money right now. I'm so glad I spent the last few years of my life chasing the things I chased when I was 40. 
Most say, I, I, I wish I would have just spent time with my wife. I wish I would have spent time with my husband. I wish I would have just let go of these things because they have literally no value. The, the degree, the training, the assets, the finance mean nothing when you're in that spot. So, sadly, many of us are just carrying on like that day won't come until that day comes. And then we're that person who says, I wish I would have paid attention, but... Jesus is saying, listen, get your priorities straight. What does it profit a man? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, I'm trying to think of his name. Is, uh, I think it's the, is it Miller? Or the uh, car dealer out of Salt Lake. Was it Miller? Doesn't sound right. What's that? Larry Miller. Larry Miller. Yeah, Larry Miller. Uh, I haven't background this law. But I remember sharing it from some time ago. Anyway, he had, I believe, diabetes. I believe he passed away from diabetes some years ago. But very, very wealthy man and couldn't buy better health. He couldn't fix it. Now, some, yeah, we can get treatment. Some, we can do things. But he couldn't fix it. He couldn't, with all that he had, he couldn't stop this process of life because it ends in death. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even really extend it. And so what could he, he couldn't exchange anything. There's nothing we can exchange. Whoever's ashamed of me, it goes on to, as we wrap up our time tonight, it was shame to me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Basically what Jesus is saying, those who deny me here won't have another opportunity. You know, those who deny me and want nothing to do with me, I, oh, I don't want to talk about Jesus. Oh, no, no, it's just they're, they're ashamed. You know, and I, you remember, he's talking to his disciples but he's invited the people so he's got a broader audience and he's bringing this hope and this truth and this and really in simplicity but but clarity and i just have found myself i don't see this one as uh i gotta keep doing right so i don't become the wrong person i just get to draw closer to him and i'll be changed it's not workspace you don't have to live in fear that you might lose your salvation or you might do something that embarrasses jesus Trust me, you've already done it. <laughs> Probably more than once, so don't worry about it. You know, he's already forgiven you. He knows some things that will happen in the future that will embarrass you as well. Then you'll do it, and you'll know you shouldn't do it when you, done, when you do it. But his grace is sufficient for you, and he will reveal to us his correction and his direction. When we do things that are contrary to what we know to do, he may even rebuke us but he will reveal love, to, reveal love to us in the process. So let me just give you a quick review. Uh, I want to go through the order of events, and it will be quick. Uh, drawn from verse 27, and, you know, thinking we're disciples. We've come here tonight, and we want to study the Bible. We've been walking through a, a very you know, specific text. Um, there's things that we really want to work out and work through in regards to following him. So let's just consider verse 27. Who do men say that I am? Maybe you have a, some, you all have some family that don't believe. And, and you know, have a, have a kind ear and a patient heart. You know, be willing to listen and, and not correct them. You know, because they probably already know what you believe. So listen to what they believe, you know. And, and you, you, in the midst of that, you may actually be able to ask them. Because it's really interesting to ask someone, do you have any spiritual beliefs? In some way, you lead into that. And they will, most people will tell you, oh, yeah, I believe this and this and this. And, 
And, and then you can ask this next question as you work through and you should respectively listen. Well, but who do, who do you say Jesus is? Which, what's your thoughts about? What's your opinion? You know what I'm saying? It, it's important, I think, to hear. And then, so I want to I know what's said because I believe God will teach me how to communicate the truth when I know where they're coming from a little more. But also the next, verse, next part, verse 29, who do you say that I am? By my actions, by my words, by my hidden thoughts. You don't get to see them. It's the things that go through my head or my eyes pick up on whatever that are very personal, intimate. You know them only. And the Lord knows them. And those things, do I give them over to God? Or do I pretend like they don't exist? Do I admit that maybe I shouldn't have looked at that or maybe I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have thought that? It's not like a guilt trip thing. It's a refreshing thing. It's like, God, I, man, I just I didn't realize I was coveting that or desiring that so much. It's become just, I'm out of balance. Help me. It, it, see how conversational that is in that type of prayer? And it's so liberating. So who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Out of verses 31 to 33, I believe Jesus would say this. Will you let me teach you? Will you let me teach you? Well, no, I'm going to do this for you. The, Excuse me, Dan? Will you let me teach you? I, I learned this before. I remember one other time, some guy shared a passage on this, and, and he emphasized this, and I've read this portion before. Yeah, that's awesome. It is great to build upon that. Will you let Jesus teach you? And I don't, I'm not going to try to guess the issue or the topic or the specific thing, but a disciple will be taught by the master. And in 30 years, I'm so thankful, I still have this hunger it's not because I'm so smart. I think it's because I stumble so much. But God's given me this heart. I just want to be taught by him. I want to be taught by him today. I've learned so much even this week and even today in conversations and study. And, you know, it takes me to the next and last point. Will you die to self and follow me? Will you die to self and follow me? I don't know how to. I don't know how to die to self. You know what I'm saying? How do you physically live and then die to self? Paul said it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I believe that is also the key for you and me. He wasn't crucified he physically wasn't put on a cross to, to convey this truth of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So what is he saying? I, I've literally considered, or it says in Romans, I've reckoned my old nature, my old, the influence of the old nature is dead. It no longer has mastery over me, no longer has power over me. It has influence, but not power. And so this life that I now live, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God this flesh that I continue in until I depart it, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God. And notice this, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a very personal realization that I will do, I will live, I will choose because I'm learning his love more and more. And because I'm learning his love and seeing who he really is, I want to follow him more. I want to know that love. I want that to be not only implanted and infused, but emanating from me. I want that to be seen. It's like, Lord, that's what I desire. He gave himself for me. I can teach. You can say. We can talk to people. God loves you. He gave himself for you. God loves the world. 
But before we really can convey that with a balance, with compassion, we have to remind ourselves it's for you first. Before you're the voice, you're the recipient. You can be the voice. He'll still use you, but you're going to see that it's not as powerful when you're selling something versus living something. Big difference. So let's wrap it up with one verse or two verses out of Romans, and I'll go right into prayer. It's kind of an exhortation or, you know, added reminder. If you live according to the flesh, I'm reading Romans 8, verses 13 and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God.